0: amen amen you may be seated this morning good to see everybody here today how's everybody doing renovation church good need a little excitement in central new york even in the summer good to see everyone and great to hear those voices sing what an encouragement to hear us celebrate uh god all that he is and all that he's done in christ so appreciate to Hear those sounds. Excited to have each and every one of you here. Uh, It's an encouragement to me. Also, those who are listening in, again, our prayers are with you. And we look forward to seeing you as soon as the Lord and his providence allows. We're praying for your safety and uh, for your health. So let's continue to be mindful of those who are not able to worship with us as we enjoy this great privilege uh, to be here this morning. When you're uh, teaching someone something, it's important to emphasize a couple of things. One, you want to emphasize what not to do, right? Uh, On the other hand, you might want to emphasize what you should do. When you teach, it's important to come from both of those angles. This is what you are not to do. This is what you are to do. So, for example, I mean, hypothetically speaking, I mean, I'm just saying, maybe it's going on in one of your lives, I don't know, I'm just saying, it's just an illustration, okay? It's not actually happening in my life at all. For example, if you're trying to teach your teenager how to drive, just saying, just hypothetically speaking, you might say something like this, maybe. Do not come to a complete stop halfway through the turn. Just saying, maybe you might say something like that. Or maybe you would say something like this Don't completely ignore the yield sign when you're turning onto Circle Drive. I know that's a specific location, but again, this is just a hypothetical situation. And hypothetically speaking, I ask hypothetically for permission to talk about these things, hypothetically. If I were having such a situation like that. You might also say something like this, right? Be sure to come to a complete stop at every single stop sign. Because daddy always does that. Hypothetically speaking. Or you may say something like, be sure to stay In your lane. You follow me? Right when you're teaching somebody how to do something. You're going to emphasize what not to do. It's important. And also what to do. Equally important. As we come to the passage of scripture this morning. uh, That we're taking a look at in Matthew chapter 6. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's been teaching his disciples how to do things and how not to do things. Today, he's going to be teaching his disciples and us how to pray and fast, what to do in reference to prayer and fasting, what not to do in reference to prayer and fasting. And he does this on the heels of an opening verse that we heard Jeremy speak on last week in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says to his disciples, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. And so the question that we ask this morning and we must consider today in reference to prayer and fasting in reference to these ways in which we practice our righteousness, how do we do so in such a way? How do we pray? How do we fast in such a way that we are indeed rewarded by our Father who is in heaven? And I wonder if already some of us are feeling the tension in the text because if we just were to be honest, we have a hard time in this particular area of our walk with Jesus. In this particular practicing, there's not that much practicing going on. That it is an ongoing struggle for us to live into these disciplines, these practices. And I hope that today, as Jesus is teaching us how not to do this and how to do this, that the Spirit of God ministers to your heart, comes to you wherever you are on the spectrum of practicing these two particular disciplines and encourage you, motivate you properly in this, right? Because as we see uh, last week and this week, that the motive matters in reference to the way in which we practice our righteousness. I pray the Spirit of God will minister to you and encourage you when it comes to prayer and fasting today. So turn with me to Matthew 6, 5 through 18. Matthew 6, 5 through 18, follow along with me. We continue our series in Matthew. We're in this Sermon on the Mount, and we're plowing through uh, at a four-year pace. It's good to be in the Word, right? It's good to go slow. I'm sure there'll be a moment, like in chapter 22, where you're like, man, can we move on from Matthew? But now this is good, right? This is good to dig into the Word and slow down to see things that we might not normally see because we're zipping by so fast. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. who is in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever, and all God's people said, amen, amen. At the very least, in these verses, Christ is calling us away from three things. Christ is calling his disciples at least away from these three things when it comes to prayer and fasting. The first one is what I'll call laziness. And I'll redefine it in just a moment. What does he say in verse 5? And when you pray. Just like he said in verse 2. When you give. He says in verse 5, when you pray, and he says in verse 16, when you fast. He's calling his disciples away from any notion, any assumption that giving, that specifically here, prayer and fasting is something that is not practiced. It may be just implicit, but I want you to see it right from the beginning. That as disciples of Christ, we are called... To practice prayer. We are called by him. To practice fasting. I'm not saying Jesus is assuming it. No but he is. He is saying yes. When you pray. Yes. When you fast. This is not a question of whether or not we should be praying. Or whether or not we should be fasting. But rather in what manner. And how should we go about that. And so I think implicitly. And yet, emphatically, we see Christ calling his disciples, calling you and me, away from a laziness in prayer and fasting. Let me put it a little bit differently, because I don't want to convey that this is just us picking up our bootstraps and working really hard for God. Okay? I think it is work, but I don't think that's what we're really getting here from Jesus. Because remember, we go all the way back into the Beatitudes of the initial uh, blessing That he gives in the graces, the blessing of the Beatitudes, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, guess what? They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. That Jesus gives a righteousness, right? That Jesus, uh, God takes the initiative. God pours out himself to us. And we work, what? In response to his work. We respond to his initiative his grace in our lives and one way that we do that is we pray we fast and so maybe the better word here is that jesus is not necessarily confronting laziness but he's confronting an unresponsiveness to him he has taken the initiative to communicate with us he's revealed himself to us and how do we respond to such action on behalf of god We respond by communing with him, by praying to him for all that he is and all that he has done, all that he's revealed himself to be. We respond to him. And so when we pray, when we fast, is it not a response to him, what he has done for us? But please understand that we're called to respond to the work of God in prayer. We're called to respond in fasting. When you pray, when you fast, when you give. Maybe this is a moment to just take inventory of your responsiveness to the gospel. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. But he also calls us away from hypocrisy. I think that's the dominant theme of these 18 verses. And what's a hypocrite? Someone who's play acting, right? Someone who is acting on a stage. That's not who they really are. They're doing something, but they're projecting an identity and a behavior and a heart that is actually not theirs. Creating a public impression that's actually at odds with who they really are. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes did, right? In their giving, and now we see in their praying. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. They're play-acting in order to be seen by others because they love the approval of men. They love the praise and the accolades and the the approval of those around them. They do all that they do in their relationship with God to play-act in such a way to receive the approval of others. And s- same with fasting. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrite. They draw attention to themselves. They disfigure their faces that they're fasting, what? May be seen by others. The motive of their hearts is they're praying, they're giving, they're fasting because they want to be seen by others. That's what Jesus says is hypocrisy. When you pray, when you fast, don't be like that. And he also calls us away from verbosity, right? Saying a lot, but at the very same time, not much at all. A lot of yapping, not much meaning. You're like Maisie. That sounds like your servants. Uh, oh, sorry, not meant to be. Just who I am. Verbosity has no place. That's how the Gentiles pray. That's how the Pagans pray. They heap up empty phrases for they think they'll be heard for their many words. The pagan understanding was that if you just uttered up empty phrases, constant repetition, that you would really be uh, manipulating action from the gods. Jesus is saying, No. Don't think for one second that you can manipulate something out of God by just mere repetition, by just babbling keeping up empty phrases that have no meaning, no real genuineness of heart in an approach before God. You cannot with many words manipulate anything out of God. So at the very least, he's telling his disciples how not to pray. Don't pray, uh, 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 or actually, don't be lazy. right? Don't be unresponsive. Don't be hypocritical and don't Be verbose. Because that, laziness, hypocrisy, and verbosity, will go unrewarded by the Father. I think that's a very profound warning for us. This will go unrewarded by the Father. You may receive your reward in full with all of your play acting. But understand this. It will go unrewarded by the Father. And so Jesus calls us away from laziness, hypocrisy, and verbosity when it comes to prayer and fasting. He tells us how not to pray. You guys think I'm being, I can just keep yelling. Like, I love this sound. Listen, can I just, isn't it great to just be together? It's okay to have sounds. Right? This is good. I know parents are like, everyone thinks out there, they're all looking at me. No one's, this is good to be together, all right? We're going to make it. We're going to make it through this. Kids ministry soon. <laughs> so he tells us how to pray as well. And he calls us to practice our righteousness before the Father for the reward of the Father. That's the emphasis of this text today. When we're talking about prayer, when we're talking about fasting, that's what Christ is calling us to. To practice our righteousness before the Father in order to be rewarded by the Father. That's what it's all about. And he tells us this in reference to prayer. He says, verse 9, pray then like this. Again, if you weren't convinced before, pray then. Pray then like this. We're called to pray in this way. Our Father in heaven. When we pray, we approach the Father in heaven out of relationship and reverence. Please do not miss the glorious privilege that Jesus Christ has secured for his disciples. And that is the emphasis now in the Sermon on the Mount. The Father. The Father. Jesus is referring to in reference to the disciples, the Father. The Father of Jesus is the same Father of those who follow Jesus. That is a radical privilege of the Gospel that is right here in the opening words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven, what a privilege. Do not leave this morning without understanding and receiving and enjoying this Reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ has secured for those who trust in him We now have this glorious privilege to pray to our father in heaven That's who God is to the disciples of Christ those who trust in him Those who've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection They now call appropriately so God father Hear that today All the imperfect dads out there rest in the perfection and glory of the Father in heaven. All those who feel this uh, void in their hearts because of their imperfect fathers, know and understand this, that there is a Father in heaven that Jesus has secured for us to approach, to communicate with. Don't skim over this. Don't miss this gift that when we pray, we're praying To God the Father, who is in heaven. That phrase is a combination of relationship and reverence. This imminence of God and the transcendence of God. Yes, he is our Father. We are near to him. We are close to him through Christ. We can approach him as his children, and yet he is our Father in heaven. Amen? our father in heaven and all the glory that that is but that's what prayer foundationally is an approaching of the father in heaven out of relationship and reverence that's what prayer is we do this in secret jesus said we approach him in secret he's there the father sees the father is in secret he sees the father knows What you need before you even ask him. And the father rewards. It's about the father. Is that characteristic of your prayer life? An understanding that you approach your father in heaven? Do you do this in secret? Approach a God that is both near and beyond? Never forget this woman uh, that we had privilege of knowing Gordon Conwell when we were at seminary. And actually, we have our dear friends that we met there 19 years ago uh, visiting today from Roanoke, Derek Stacy Lamb from City Light Church. We thank we're glad you're here with us. Just want to acknowledge them. Feel free to greet them. Uh, pastor in a church down there. And uh, uh, we're grateful that they were not quarantined by Governor Como this week. They were able to come up. Well, we had the privilege of knowing this woman by the name of Lita Schleter. And there was something unique about her. Every time you talked to her about something going on in your life or something that was going on in the life of somebody else, she always said this little awkward phrase. At least it, it came off awkward. Some concern was brought to her. She would say, I'm going to talk to my father about that. And I'm like, really, your dad? Is your father? Why would you talk to your father about this? I don't understand. How, how would he be able to help? You understand what she was doing, right? She was talking uh, uh, about the Father in heaven. And for whatever reason, here I'm in seminary, and that's hitting me like that's a little weird. I you mean you're going to pray? You're going to talk to God? She talked of God as if she, he, he was her father. Because that's who he was. That's who God is. And I wonder if you know and and, and experience that kind of connection and intimacy when it comes to your relationship with God. Does this characterize your prayer life? I asked another dear saint, why is it that you pray? And they said, it's because I love the Father. Love the Father. I think just foundationally, that's what prayer is for us as we approach God in secret. It is an approach of the Father, uh, out of a uh, relationship and out of reverence. But not only that, we see that when we pray, that we first and foremost seek God and His glory, His name, His kingdom, and His will. Right, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth, As it is in heaven. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. If you could have one thing from God, what would it be? If you had the ability to ask God for anything, what would it be? I think that was like the opening of one of John Orberg's books, actually. Just came on. If you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? All the COVID Facebook marketplace shopping that you've been doing over the last few months. All the Craigslisting, right? If I see one more person, uh, the dump truck's backing up to put in a pool. Like, where are all these pools coming from? (laughs) It's, you know, government cash got to go somewhere. And we can't go anywhere. So people have a lot of desires or spending, right? If you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? probably already know where I'm going with this. How many of us would initially and honestly and genuinely ask for the priorities that Jesus sets out for us in this prayer? Right? Hallowed be your name. May your name be revered as holy on this earth. May your name be revered as holy. May your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come in this world. Would that, that be your first prayer? Would that be your desire? You see, Jesus gives for us a first and foremost priority and he wants our prayers to first and foremost be focused on god and 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 kingdom driven the name the kingdom the will of god is our first priority it's our first passion it's our greatest desire it's what we turn to god for first and say let this be let your name be revered as holy May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David Turner says, Prayer is not, first and foremost, an exercise to vindicate the disciples' causes, meet the disciples' needs, fulfill the disciples' desires, or solve the disciples' problems. Rather, one's priority must be the promotion of God's reputation." The advancement of God's rule and the performance of God's will. It's been amazing to instill this in the prayer life of our children over the years. You're teaching your kid initially to pray for bumps and bruises. Teaching your kid to pray uh, that God would heal their boo-boo, right? That they would... Help grandma or grandpa or be in a particular situation. Constantly going to God for needs. That's a good thing, as we're about to see. But it's an amazing thing to begin to teach them that they are to pray in such a way that brings honor and praise to God. That seeks the things of God. And I don't know about you parents, but as I hear my kids start a prayer by saying, "All oh, Father... All glory and praise be unto you. That's a beautiful thing to hear the maturation of the prayer life of a child. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And I wonder if we think about the things going on in the world right now. If we consider COVID-19, if we think about racial reconciliation. If we think about poverty, any systemic issues that we have, any division that we're facing. If we're thinking about the opioid crisis the economic despair, unemployment, I mean, is this not a simple prayer that we can come to the Father with, and is this not the very thing that we need in this world more than anything else? The name of God to be revered, the kingdom of God to come, the will of God to be done. Is this not what we long for, O people of God? That's what the world needs. Forever we're ever going to, to see any progress in the challenges of the day that are lasting and meaningful, it's going to be because of the holiness of God, the kingdom of God, and the will of God invading our place. May that be my heart. May that be my prayer. May that be our prayer. For that prayer, done in secret, it will be a rewarded prayer by the Father. So much more can be said. And then we see these last really three things that I'll sum up as really the promises, the simple promises of the new covenant that he encourages us to pray. He says, pray these things, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, forgive our debts, as we also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. If you look at verse 11, 12, and 13, You're seeing him saying, when you pray, pray for one provision, right? Because that's who God is. He is our provider, amen? The Father in heaven is our provider. So when we pray, we go to uh, God as the source and provider of everything that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. We saw that the snap of a finger, everything can come to a crushing halt. All of our security that we've built up in this world, in our economic, robust economic system, everything that we've built up, that can come to a quick and sudden halt. And 30 million jobs can be gone like that. I don't know what we place our security in for provision, but I think that really what Jesus is saying is is that you can go to your Father who is your security, who is the one that will provide. And that really, this is a sign that we are completely and utterly dependent upon Him for absolutely everything in this world. Give us this day our daily bread. So provision. Verse 12, pardon. You say, why do we every week during song 2, between song 2 and 3, we go through this whole rigmarole of confessing our sin to God and asking for pardon? And then receiving assurance. Because that's what we do. In response to the gospel. That's the promise. And therefore the prayer. Is that we come humbly recognizing. That we have indeed sinned. And that we have indeed fallen short. Of the glory of God. And that we need his gracious pardon. Applied to our hearts. We need God's grace. To strengthen us for obedience. And that. Yes, he's going to provide for all of our needs. And understand he's also provided everything that we need for a right standing before him through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who pardons. And we see that it's always attached to a a forgiveness on our part of others. Because when we truly receive forgiveness, we give it. When we are recipients of God's grace for pardon, we become uh, instruments to give that forgiveness to others it's the package deal of the gospel we all love ephesians 2 1 through 10 god made us alive together with christ raised us up with him amen but we often forget ephesians two eleven through 22 which talks about the reconciliation that we have now with one another in the body of christ and that when we truly receive grace, it's a grace that overflows into the lives of others. It's the both and nature of the gospel. We are recipients and instruments of divine grace. And so we pray and ask for forgiveness with a willing heart to forgive others. Understanding that an unwilling heart shows that we've never received forgiveness at all. And that in many ways, verse 15 the forgiveness that we could have known is forfeited for if we don't forgive the father won't forgive that's what we pray for pardon what a promise it is your heavenly father will also forgive you the last when we pray we find safety in god who is our protector provision pardon protection Am I overstating it today To say that we live In a dangerous Spiritual world That we're vulnerable The world is in a vulnerable place You see so much of Paul's Letters, instructions to Timothy To warn, to admonish To instruct Lest they depart from the faith Lest they shipwreck their faith Let's be open and honest about the fact that we have a very real enemy and there is an intense battle over every soul. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. That's Jesus. No. Jesus said that. That's what I meant to say. That's the devil. The thief. What else? First Peter. Your adversary prowls like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. It's a real battle. The real enemy. And so Jesus instructs us to pray in such a way that we find safety, protection from God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Jesus prayed this very thing. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, Lord but that you keep them from the evil one. And we sing that song, He will hold me fast. What does that mean? That's the idea that God will continue to keep us, sustain us, and protect us as His sheep in this world as we await His return. And again, as a parent of children, this is my constant prayer. Lord, I see their heart. I see their tendencies. I understand their rebellion because it's in me too. Please, Lord, protect them from the evil one. I can pour out my heart and my soul to the lives of the people under my care. But at the end of the day, it is up to the work of God, the Spirit, to do something that protects their mind. That takes every thought captive. So they're not deceived and led astray by the schemes of the enemy. Parents, do you understand what I'm talking about today? That's what we pray for our children. That's what we pray for ourselves. We pray for their protection. We need God's protection. And i got to say, as a pastor, this is what we pray for for you. Your protection. And sometimes when we, when we observe and we see just subtle shifts in thought, subtle shifts in behavior, we're not just controlling people walking around like waiting to blow the whistle. We're pastors that are concerned because we know that the enemy prowls around like a, like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour and that you live under the constant bombardment of secular ideas and deceit and that it is our job to pray for, that the Lord would protect you and that he would keep you. And that's why we, we so get excited and encouraged when you come to church on sunday because we believe that god protects you through the preaching of the word that's why it's exciting when you're in missional community not because we like to count on our fingers how many people showed up because it gives us a sense that the spirit of god's going to do something on a wednesday night in somebody's living room to protect you from being led away by the deceitfulness of sin protection some of us have let our guard down in our lives we pasture you we love you and we we want to see we don't do it christ keep you christ protect you as the great perfect shepherd of the sheep so we plead with you to pray this way pray for your protection pray for the protection of your church pray for the protection of your family pray for the protection of your own soul because God is your protector. Provision, pardon, protection. Just promises of the new covenant. So you're praying for something God desires to give in Christ. So we're called to pray, we're called to fast in a way that is not to be seen by others but really to approach our Father who's in heaven, to practice our righteousness in giving, praying, fasting, practicing it before our Father who is in heaven in such a way that we would be rewarded by him, that we would gain his approval, or at least enjoy his approval, seek his approval, not the approval of others. So, really the simple application is pray, fast. Leave here committed to this very thing. I'm just going to shoot straight. Like, this this confronted me like I, I don't fast anything. I'm just slow at everything pretty much. Like, this is something we need to grow in. Right? Commit ourselves to prayer and fasting. What I'm saying is Respond to the gospel. The righteousness you've received by practicing this righteousness in prayer and in fasting. Second thing is consider your motivations today. Consider your motivations. Why pray? Why fast? Is it to be seen by others? Or is it to be rewarded by the Father? Why? Why? Consider the desires and motives of your heart. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in this regard. I'm going to ask you this question. It was like a punch in the face. And you can understand the struggle that a a minister or a pastor could feel in this regard. As much of the faith is public. Here I am up here publicly doing this thing. John Piper asked this question. Does the frequency and fervency of your private prayer life match the frequency and fervency of your public prayer life. It's the ultimate test of hypocrisy, right? I'm mostly frequent and fervent publicly in my prayer life, not so much in my private. Maybe that's a way to just gauge my passion level in prayer. My frequent, do I pray more privately or publicly? May your motive really be to approach the Father who is, the Father who sees, the Father who knows, the Father who rewards. I mean, isn't that really the ultimate motivation for prayer? Like if you're struggling this morning, you're like, you know, I don't don't really enjoy prayer. It feels dry. You know, I struggle in it. I don't fast. It's probably the scariest thing you've ever suggested, that I skip a meal. Like, that's just scary. Maybe you're just struggling for motive keep the focus on what Jesus is saying this morning, that it's about receiving and enjoying the reward of the Father. Right, That's going to be the motive. All that He is, all that He's done in Christ. The Father. I don't know what more motivation there's ever going to be than that. Time in secret with the Father. Communicating with the Father. Worshiping the Father. Enjoying the presence of the Father giving your needs and concerns and and desires over to the Father. What more motivation is there if Christ died to give us a status of sonship that we can approach, boldly approach the throne of grace and stand before God, the Father, and commune with Him. So consider your motives. And then enjoy and expect reward, like, Don't miss the promise. The Father will reward you. The Father will reward you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Pray in secret. The Father will reward you. It's a glorious thing. This thing, prayer and fasting and giving. We're called away from hypocrisy. We're called away from laziness. We're called away from verbosity. We're called by Christ to practice our righteousness before the Father, for the reward of the Father. Amen? Pray this was an encouragement to you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that your name will be considered and revered as holy. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God, we pray you would give us this day our daily bread. We pray that you would forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but would deliver us from evil. Lord, we pray as well for our brothers and sisters at Trinity Fellowship that you would do all these things in their midst. We pray for Stefan Matzel. We pray for Nathaniel Jackson and their leadership. Oh, God, we are thankful for their presence in our community. We're grateful for their partnership. We pray that you would give them this day their daily bread, that you would be to them all satisfying and all sufficient father that you would give them the grace forgiveness you continue to protect them and watch over them until you return all praise and glory be to you bless the preaching of your word lord as we continue to respond with our giving pray you would receive it, that it would be acceptable in your sight, that it would be a genuine desire to worship and bring about your purposes in this world. If there's anybody here this morning that feels far from you, that sin has subtly led them astray, we pray that you would call them back to just the simple communion with you and your Son, Jesus Christ pray that there's anybody here that does not know you, that is listening this morning, that does not know Christ, and the joys that we speak of today, we pray that your spirit would work in their hearts and draw them to yourself. May your name be revered as holy in our hearts, in our minds, in this congregation, and in this community. All praise be to you. God's people said. Amen.